you know, if you want perspective, you know, get out from behind the lights and with the cameras and everything and just do the work of ministry, getting your hands and feet into ministry, putting your hands to the plow. And that gives us perspective. This is First Person. Welcome to this week's conversation with guest Michael Catt, senior pastor of Sherwood Baptist Church in Albany, Georgia, and the executive producer of the new movie, Courageous. You'll hear from Michael in just a moment. First, let me encourage you to take advantage of our website, which has additional information and links to today's guest and topic. At firstpersoninterview.com, you can also explore the audio archive of past interviews and see the calendar of upcoming guests. Check it out when you get a chance, firstpersoninterview.com. Well, pastors are always busy people, but it's especially true in Michael Katz's case. Not only does he lead a large church, but a part of that church ministry has brought us the movies Flywheel, Facing the Giants, Fireproof, and now Courageous, releasing later this month. Pastor Cat also prays fervently for revival in our day, and I wanted to spend time getting to know his story. But we started talking first about the soon release of the Courageous movie. Well, we are very excited about it. It seems like it's been forever since we made it. Yeah. and uh, But uh, I think the story as we've gone around the country has resonated with people, uh, the understanding of absentee dads and dysfunctional families, it's just hit at the core of, boy, we need this message right now. I was going to ask you, which is harder, actually planning the movie, making the movie, or waiting for the movie to come out? <laughs> <laughs> Could that be equal <laughs> equal distribution? Uh, I think just coming up with the idea, you know, we when we finished Fireproof, uh, we took some time and went to the mountains and prayed, Alex and Stephen and Jim McBride and I, um, about if we would even make another movie. I mean, it was an intense, nonstop year. Mm-hmm. And we prayed for six months. And that's when, during that time, uh, a pastor of mine used to say that you have to let an idea marinate. Mm-hmm. And uh, the idea of dads and doing the research on dads, that kind of surfaced. And then it's that three-month writing process for Alex and Stephen. And all of that... You know, people may not understand. You've got a church praying. Okay, here's the story idea. We need you to pray for three months while the script's being written. And then there's all the the things that we're doing like now with the interviews and things like that. I, I was talking to another movie producer yesterday, and he said, you know, people just see a movie on the screen, and they think, oh, they just threw that together. And, and, and because you're in media, you understand it is a long, yeah. long process. A lot of sweat. A lot, a lot of, of work, sweat, a lot, lot of prayer, of prayer mm-hmm. uh, a lot of getting on airplanes, a lot of, uh, I mean, w- just just for perspective, Courageous, we had 132 hours of footage that became a two-hour and four-minute movie. How do you decide? It's three weeks just to look at all the footage. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> How do you see your... I know you're executive producer. Now, of course, you're senior pastor at Sherwood Baptist in Albany, Georgia, this this church that has this can-do spirit about making these movies to impact people's lives spiritually. How do you look at your role? I mean, you've got Jim and Alex and Stephen and the whole church who's behind this. Well, we're first of all, with the four of us, uh, we're all gifted differently uh, spiritually, and we have different personalities. Uh, Jim's the the business-minded uh, uh, person. Alex is the mercy. Uh, Stephen is a great 
with humor. Uh, he's the encourager, exhorter, and I'm the I'm the nanny nanny poo poo guy. Uh, I, I'm, Somebody's I'm really, got to corral the well, rest of them. You know, I mean, my spiritual gift is prophet. And uh, Manly Beasley told me one time. He said, Michael, he said a prophet can know there's a skunk in the woodpile. He can't tell you where he is, but he can smell him before most other people can. And and mine is the caution flag. You know, are we going too far? Are we running too fast? Uh, are we are we really sensing the heart of God? Do we really have unity in this? So, you know, I feel like my role is to give the thumbs up to guys that are very talented and very gifted. And um, to me, a sign of leadership is you find great people and you let them do their job. You don't micromanage them. And I don't micromanage. I mean, you know, you've been on set. Uh, I may be on set one day out of every 10, and I'm not there but an hour or so because I'm just going to be in the way. Yeah, but everybody you know? knows you're available. I'm available. I'm there. I mean, if they need me, they call, you know, I'll get a call. My wife does uh, the costuming and the casting, and, and she'll say, boy, you really need to pray. It's a tough day, mm-hmm. you know, and so I will, and I may go by and say, hey, is everybody all right? And, and I get updates on what I need to know. But I think for me, uh, I guess my part of the team is let's just make sure we're not running ahead of God and let's make sure we're not taking on anything we can't cover in believing prayer. Mm-hmm. You're also senior pastor of a church, and we see the actors on the screen, we see the credits roll, but do we really understand this This is, involves the whole church, doesn't it? Oh, it does. I mean, we had 1,600 people work on Courageous, and uh, that's babysitting, that's bringing casseroles. Thank God for casseroles. Uh, I mean, that's just about everything you can imagine. But is there buy-in from the church? Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, they're really only asked to work at the level we're talking about for about 35 to 40 days, except for our major team leaders. Uh, There is buy-in. I mean, there's a—you got to think about it this way. Here are people that—some of them have lived all their life in Albany, Georgia— and, uh, you know, little town. Suddenly the world comes to them. And, and they get a chance to do something to impact the world. And what I tell them is you will never know until you get to heaven what you bring in a casserole, what you praying over somebody who's working on the set, you working security, you keeping the babies. You will never know how many lives were influenced until you get to eternity. You have had a role in the salvation of many and the restoration of many marriages and the encouragement of many high school teams with facing the Giants and hopefully a lot with dads with Courageous. Uh, they, they're getting to do something bigger than they ever thought they'd do in their lifetime. Well, I'm sure there's been challenges, but at the same time, having been on the receiving end of that hospitality in Albany, there is just a, a sweet spirit at work there. Well, there is. Uh, it's amazing, Wayne, and, and I, I can't explain except it's just the presence of God. Manly Beasley, again, used to say, the presence of God is hard to define, but his absence is easy to detect. And you and I have both been in places that have been Christian, but you just didn't sense the presence and power of God. Number one, I don't want to take that for granted. Number two, I don't want us to ever do anything that causes the Holy Spirit to say, I can't trust you because you won't honor me. You won't honor the Lord. Uh, I, I think that's the spirit of the people. I think that's just God's just put a cloud of blessing on our church right now that's beyond us. For you personally, how does this fulfill what God has called you to do? 
the, the making of movies, pastoring a church first of all, and secondarily making movies out of that church? Well, we certainly never thought it would be at this level. You know, when we made Flywheel, I mean, we were just making a DVD to uh, for our members to give to their family and friends at Easter as an outreach tool. And so when that it kind of exploded on us and it took off, uh, I mean, we never thought, I mean, I would have never thought I would be on a radio program with you or, or doing anything. You know, I think we are constantly reminded because we live in Albany. We don't live in the fast lane. Uh, you know, it, it takes me five minutes to get from my house to the church, and that's at 5 o'clock traffic. Uh, I, I think it's always the perspective of we walk and live and breathe among folks that are just going about life. You know, God's done something that we can never look in the mirror or pat ourselves on the back and say, boy, we're great, because we're not. I mean, God has done exceedingly abundantly beyond what we hoped or imagined. I sense that you've never lost the vision that you're first and foremost a church. Yes, absolutely. Movie making is second. As far as the church is concerned, it's basically something we do for about 35 to 50 days every other year. But the rest of the time, we've got to change diapers. We've got to coach soccer teams and football teams. We've got programs, VBS and all the rest of it, right? We've got VBS. I mean, we've got Legacy Park that we built. And, people uh, who have deep needs. Yeah, we do. I mean, we have a counseling center. We have a crisis pregnancy center. Uh, we're dealing with real life. You know, we're feeding the homeless. Uh, you know, if you want perspective, you know, get out from behind the lights and with the cameras and everything and just do the work of ministry, getting your hands and feet into ministry, putting your hands to the plow. And that gives us perspective. Yeah. Michael, I know your heart beats for revival in this country. Uh, you've challenged my own heart about that, and you're, you, you describe your gift as, a, as being a prophet, and I see that. How does this all fit together for you personally? Wayne, I, I think this is something I never would have seen myself doing. I think if anything, that the movies have opened doors for me uh, to share my what I think is my life message and my heart message, and that is... Uh, revival and walking in the fullness of who Christ is. Uh, it's opened a door for me to talk to people that wouldn't listen to me otherwise. Uh, I kind of look at it like Vance Havner said. Vance Havner said, you know, I preached in little churches and nobody knew who I was. And one day Donald Gray Barnhouse called and asked me to come preach. And he said, it changed the whole direction of my ministry. Vance Havner never changed. He always preached revival. He always called the church to repentance. The message was the same. The message was the same, but one man opened a door. And I'll never forget that one of the great lessons Havner told me, which was one of, most, one of his most quotable quotes, was you don't have to chase key men if you know the one who holds the keys. We'll continue our conversation with Pastor Michael Catt on First Person. He'll tell us how adoption has affected his life. Next time, we'll talk with the creators of the courageous movie, Alex and Stephen Kendrick. I have woken up to the fact that as a dad, it's not just me setting the rules and regulations for my kids. It's about me winning their heart. As men, as husbands, as fathers, there's tough stuff. We have to be strong when everything about us feels like giving up. Their ministry is making movies and they're passionate about it. Meet Alex and Stephen next time on First Person.
Michael, I only recently heard uh, part of your story that I'd like for you to share with us today, and that is your adoption, which you didn't know about until later in life, right? No. uh, I found out I was adopted when I was 38. Uh, Actually, I found out from my wife at an anniversary dinner in Orlando, Florida. Well, you got to tell me that story. Uh, yeah, it's well, it's a long story, but uh, to shorten it, um, I had always felt a little weird because my parents were very introverted. I was always very out extroverted, and you know, I just through my life, every now and then, I just kind of say, you know, I just feel like I'm adopted. I'm an, I'm not like anybody. I'm not <laughs> like any of my aunts or uncles, or you know, I'm not like anybody. And I said it to Terry when we started dating. I just every now and then, you know, every three or four years, it might just hit me. I said, you know, I just don't feel like I don't know. She said, well, would you ever want to know? And I said, well, yeah, I think I would want to know. I need, I, I need to know. And so uh, we were having dinner that night, and I said something about the adoption again, and and she said, well, I want to ask you, dude, would you want to know? If you were, and I said, "Yeah, I think I would." She said, "Then I got to tell you something." Mm-hmm. And I said, "Uh oh." <laughs> <laughs> and the social worker who handled my adoption had gone into my mother-in-law's flower shop, and she asked my mother-in-law, "Did Terry get married?" Yeah, she married about you know fifteen years ago because she didn't see this lady much. So well, who's she married? She said, well, she married a, a boy from Pascagoula, Michael Cat from Pascagoula. And she said, oh, I know who Michael Cat is. That was the first adoption I handled when I was a social worker. Oh, my. And so my mother-in-law is in her business hearing that her son-in-law is adopted. Well, she calls Terry, and Terry said, I just can't have Michael come home, you know, for macaroni oh, and cheese. Oh, by the way, hon. And say, by the way, Mom called today and you're adopted. <laughs> so, I mean, my wife had to live with this for about five months. And she said, Lord, you're going to have to orchestrate the time mm-hmm. and the place for me to tell my husband. But before she did that, she called my mother-in-law back and she said, call her and talk to her and ask her some details. And I'm telling you, this lady had the details. I mean, she knew I had an uncle that lived in Greenville, Mississippi. She knew that there was a judge in Monticello, Mississippi, who had gotten the papers. out. See, I can't even get the papers out of the courthouse from the county I was adopted in because this judge put them in his private file. Mm -hmm. I mean, all kind of things going on. And uh, knew that my parents feared that I would find out who my mother was. She knew all these details. I mean, she knew it down to the nose. And my youth minister knew I was adopted. And I found out every Sunday school teacher I'd had in church knew I was adopted. And it seemed like I was the only person in the whole church well, that didn't know. I how was did adopted. it make you? Did you feel betrayed in any sense then? I felt very angry. I mean, I did. I mean, I didn't know what else to feel, you know, because I had been all my life from every relative. You know, diabetes runs in our family, you know, cancer runs in our family. And you know, Tom Elliff would say that's the curse of words. Um, you know, I was in bondage to things for 38 years of my life out of fear uh, that something was, mm-hmm. you know, in my family line. You know, you make sure when you're, you know, make sure Aaron and Haley don't eat this, you know, because diabetes skips a generation. So it'll probably skip you and go to them. So you lived with all that. So I lived with this fear of these things uh, kind of under the surface, but it was still there. 
And uh, yeah, I was angry for a while. So what did you do with that? I mean, do you were your adoptive parents alive at this point? They were alive. Uh, first thing that happened is uh, I went back and uh, actually five days later, I had to uncork somewhere. Hmm. And I did it in a deacon's meeting. And I just said, here's what's happened. You know, here's what I found out. And by the grace of God, um, our deacon chairman said, Michael, go to the mountains find a place, stay as long as you need to stay. Good for him. And uh, send us the bill. And so I did. I mean, we went up there, and quite honestly, Wayne, I laid on the couch and I sulked. Yeah. And I went outside and yelled a little bit. And, you know, I, I was angry. I was hurt. Uh, I didn't know what to do. And, um, you know, I mentally, I didn't emotionally get there in that time. I was there about almost three weeks. And Terry was with me, and um, but I mentally, when I when I drove off that mountain, I mentally took a garbage bag and I threw it off the side of the mountain, and I said, "This." But now emotionally, I mean, the enemy really worked on me for at least a year. Uh, I mean, I just kept getting gut punched, and I mean, you know, he would, you know, my fault. Uh, I would get angry. Um, I didn't want to talk to my parents at times. You know, I'd force myself to do that. I'd you go let to them know that you knew? No. Uh, I, I, I had to take that to the Lord, and I said, okay, 38 years, they've kept this a secret. Obviously, my mother lived in so much fear of me finding out. I thought, you know, here they are in their 70s. Am I really going to do this to them? You know, can I die to this? Can I deal with this uh, without me being living five hours away from them and them wondering what in the world's going on with me? So I, I really didn't. Uh, when my mom was laying in the hospital, uh, semi-conscious, the last week of her life, I went into the room and I talked to her. And, uh, and she squeezed my hand, so I think she understood what I said. When my dad went into the hospital, I went and I talked to the doctor, and he said, uh, and I just become convicted I needed to say something to him because I really felt like the issue was with my mom. And uh, so he went in the hospital, and it was on a Friday. This was one of the dumb decisions of trying to please people. <laughs> and uh, I went to the doctor. I said, look, I need to go back and preach Sunday. Um is my dad going to make it through the weekend? He said, oh, he's not getting out of the hospital. But he said, I'm going to guess he's going to be here three weeks. So I said, all right, let me go back and preach, and I'll come back on Monday, and I'll get everything so I can be here. I left on Friday afternoon, 9 o'clock on Saturday morning. They called me and said, you got to get back. And that's a four-hour, five-hour drive. you got to get back. And I'm driving 90 miles an hour to try to get back. And by then, my dad cannot communicate uh, he can't say anything. He dies on Sunday morning. I never got to say anything to him because he asked me when I left. He said, uh, what did the doctor say? I said, well, there are a number of things we need to talk about, Dad. And when I get back here on Monday, we're going to talk. I need to have a long talk with you. And I never got to have it. Wow. How do you counsel parents who adopt now? Well, I, I think we live in a different world. You know, adoption was something when... Folks like you and I, uh, our age, it wasn't talked about. Now it's accepted, 
and uh, I'm grateful for that. Yes, I'm I, grateful for that. You yeah, know? I, I, you know, I was adopted right. at birth, and I was told since right. I was a small child. But still, it it impacted me as an adult. Right, absolutely, it does. But I, I think there's such a need for adoption now. I mean, we we work adoptions through our crisis pregnancy center. There is an option to abortion, uh, and that's adoption. And the international adoptions. So Kevin Downs, who's in courageous. Um, adopted a little boy from Haiti. His story is unbelievable. I mean, he shared it with us last night, and I, I mean, I was just weeping about they got pregnant at the same time they were doing an adoption, and they have two <laughs> little boys like eight months apart. Oh, wow. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think the key to adoption is openness and honesty. Um, I actually wrote a letter to my birth mom. I, I know where she lives. I've never met her. Uh, we're pretty sure she knows who I am, actually, because of the movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know her best friend. We know who her best friend is, where, where her best friend lives. Uh, we actually know that she comes to my hometown twice a year. Um, so she's aware of who I am. I'm not aware of who she is. You don't feel the, the need to make a connection? Well, I wrote a letter, and I sent pictures. Uh, and it never got delivered to her. It got sent back to me by her best friend. But here's what I said in the letter. I said, what you need to know is, is that I ended up in a home where they took me to church, and I came to a relationship with Jesus Christ. And this is what my life has become, and these are my children and what God is doing in their life. And the one thing I would not want for you is for you to die feeling guilty about giving me up. Great. Because she could have aborted me. You know, to be honest with you, I've had a family member who who had a child get pregnant and called me and said, you know, this is going to ruin their lives. This is going to ruin their lives. And and uh, said, you know, it'd just be easier if we just handle this. And I said, you know what? If my mother had done that, you wouldn't be talking to me. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't be calling me for counsel. I'd have never been born. And uh, I, I think honesty... I think love. Roger Breland called me when he found out about my adoption. He was in Hawaii with Truth at the time, and they were doing concerts. He said, look, I'm about to walk into a concert. He said, God just told me, Charlie Draper, who had been a pastor of mine, just told me about your adoption. He said, I just got to tell you something, Michael. He said, God must love you a lot. I said, really? He said, first of all, he allowed you to be adopted into a family that took care of you. And secondly, he adopted into your family. He said, you've been twice adopted. You're a pretty blessed man. Michael Catt, pastor, author, movie maker, kind of a surprise twist to his story of adoption, but it proves once again God's faithfulness. There's more information not only about Pastor Cat, but also the soon-to-be-released movie Courageous at our website, firstpersoninterview.com. The movie opens in theaters across America September 30. And we're praying for its challenge to men to reach deep into our culture, making a spiritual difference in the lives of men. We'll have even more to say about the movie over the next couple of weeks here on First Person. A week from now, on the eve of the release, we'll talk with Alex and Stephen Kendrick, brothers whose vision has led to the string of movies, and still later we'll meet more of the cast. By the way, the interview a few weeks ago with cast member Robert Amaya is in the audio archive at firstpersoninterview.com. And to reach us with comments about today's program, just visit our Facebook page, facebook.com slash first person interview. 
Well, thanks for listening today. With thanks to my friend and producer, Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepard. Join us next time for First Person.